Hey, this episode is sponsored by Dandy. And Dandy is a full service, fully digital dental lab based in the US. And with Dandy, you get everything you need to take your practice digital. Your workflow will be completely digital. They offer an entire range of services and products, from crowns to bridges, implants, surgical guides, veneers, partial and full dentures, night guards, and custom clear aligners, and more. And on average, practices that use Dandy see $30,000 saved right up front, 76% faster delivery, and 89% reduction in remakes. And guys, guess what? Dandy is giving you a free three-shape trio scanner. So that's already saving you over $20,000 and you'll get $250 in lab credit. So just go to meetdandy.com forward slash TDM and you can find out more. That's meetdandy.com forward slash TDM. And if you decide to try out Dandy and use that link, you will get the free three-shape trio scanner and you'll get $250 in lab credit. So go to meetdandy.com forward slash TDM or just click the first link in the show notes below. All right, let's get into this episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dental Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Arias. And in this episode, I am speaking with the fantastic Dr. Delaney Spaulding. If you're in network, what that implies is you are agreeing to a fee schedule that you do not ever get to change. Or if you are, you have to go through companies to negotiate things, or you have to be, you have to talk to insurance companies to tell them, by the way, I think price of everything is increasing and I would like it to increase. And then you still tell you no. And I didn't like that. Um, I also don't like that if you're truly in network and following all your contracts to a T, there's plenty of things that you're not allowed to offer to patients because it's not included in their services. And if you offer it, you can't collect from the patient. And all of that comes down to like the nitty gritty of the contract. And none of that benefits the patient. None of it. So giving the patient the ultimate ability to decide what they want for their treatment plan and their oral health, I think is the best thing for them, which is why... We will use your benefits. We will do anything possible to get you the money that you deserve, but it's not my job to help the insurance company hurt you. Such a wonderful journey. She's going through wonderful story. Uh, like a triumph and, and, and trials and tribulations, but she's making it happen. Honestly, dentistry has been a part of her life always, always since the very, <laughs> since her mom gave birth. And you'll, you guys will hear the story of that. Why? And then she worked at a DSO for about two months, hated it and left. She lets us know why she didn't like it. She also worked at an associateship for a year and it ended when the pandemic started. And listen to why it ended, right? And maybe how we can, as practice owners, or maybe you're an associate, right? How we can be better with crisp communication. That's something that Delaney really um, appreciates. It's crisp communication. She also discusses more of uh, what she liked and what she didn't like in that associateship. And then we start talking a little bit more about how she decided to acquire a practice. How that whole process went, which bank does she go with, the terms of the bank and everything, how she how she found the practice, right? Uh, but more importantly, what I think is really interesting is how she decided as soon as she started working inside of that practice and it became hers, she decided to drop or become out of network with all the insurances. 
So listen to the process. Listen to what she had to go through. Did the patients love it? Did they hate it? Did the employees stay? Did they leave? Was the practice turning upside down because of this decision? What could she have done better? If anything, she discusses all that. She lets us know how her AR got so much better. We dive into that. We also talk about uh, marketing and advertising, how many patients she's currently getting uh, monthly right now, who who she decided to hire on to help her with her marketing and so forth, what she does as far as where she goes. Some very unique things she mentions that I think we all should attempt to try, right? And then we also talk about uh, what systems she put inside her her practice that completely changed and elevated and upgraded her practice. So definitely look out for that and listen to that as well. So guys, without further delay, here is Dr. Delaney Spalding. Delaney, how's it going? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for asking. If you don't mind me asking, where are you located? I am in Birmingham, Alabama, or more specifically Hoover, Alabama, about 20 minutes south of Birmingham. Oh, nice. Okay. How is it humid, hot over there or dry, hot? It is disgustingly hot. It is <laughs> thick, wet, and humid. Oh, so it's like two Walk showers. outside and your glasses fog up humid. Oh, my God. Does it get to past the hundreds over there or no? Oh, yeah. Especially as soon as you get in your car, you see the 106, 107. Mainly just the feels like temperature, but it, it does feel like that, especially with the humidity. If we had to visit, when would you recommend? November, December, January. That's a really nice time, especially like November. I feel like October is hit or miss. You can either be shorts and a t-shirt for Halloween or it can be bundled up. You don't really know. But November, having a few years in Boston, I really appreciate when it starts to get cold. So November is a good time. That's good to know. Awesome. So Delaney, talk to us. Tell us a little bit about your past, your present. How did you get to where you are today? Uh, starting very far past, um, my mom's water broke during her dental boards and I was born. <laughs> so I come from a legacy of dentists. My mom's a dentist. My dad started a dental technology company and that led me into just the life exposure that got me to the point that I am today. So my parents started a practice when I was one year old. And my mom has four kids total. So she had one son in dental school. She had me and then my two younger brothers. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to being a female practitioner, you got to figure out what to do with your kids when you're working. So I got brought to the dental office every single day at my mom's onsite childcare. And through that experience, I got just sheer exposure to the dental office. And by the time that I was 14, 15, I was chair side assisting her which really piqued my interest. So as soon as I actually saw what dentists do and saw the work-life balance and the ability to own your own business, that is when I was like, okay, I want to do this. I went to University of Georgia for my biology degree. I did a lot of shadowing, a lot of community service, and a lot of assisting as an assistant at the free dental clinic because I was an assistant with plenty of years experience by the time I was actually in college. Then I went to Henry M. Goldman School of Dental Medicine for uh, dental school in Boston. I fell in love about a month into dental school, not to a dentist, but to a chemist. And he actually got a job in Birmingham, Alabama. So that's the short version of why I am in Alabama now and kind of my motivation behind being a dentist. Nice. Okay. And then throughout the whole process of this, you've always wanted to own your own business? No, pretty much during dental school, I was so captivated with the idea of needing to 
just be good at what I was doing that I didn't think I'd ever be able to take on owning my own business. I just wanted to get really good at being a dentist. And that kind of pushed me away from owning my own practice. And then all it took was getting out of dental school and having other people tell me what to do, which quickly changed my mind. And I realized that whether I was ready or not, I was going to be owning a practice because I am not a good employee. And all it took was being an employee to realize that. How long were you an employee for? I worked at a DSO for about two months. And then I worked as an associate and it was a good associate. I learned associateship. I learned a lot and I was there for a little over a year and then, then the pandemic hit. So that is what ended my employment there. And I'm not sure if it was more of a natural ending, if I would have stayed in that situation longer or if I would have kind of branched out and done my own thing. But even in a really good associateship, there's things that just kind of make you think, I wish I could have any say in this. I wish I could change this. And you just know you're an employee, so you can't. Yeah, that's true. When, when the pandemic began, that's when you were let go of your associateship? I... I'm a ghosted pretty much. <laughs> it was, yeah, I mean, everyone was in lux. No one knew what they were doing. We were like officially shut down, but not really. And there were three dentists. So do we all need to be there? If we're just covering emergencies. I think everyone's just looking at each other saying, what are we doing? And what you need right then is just like clear, crisp communication. And I wasn't really getting that, which is fine. So what? That's when I kind of phased out and said, I am the last dentist added onto this group. So I'm fine if I'm not really included in the immediate rebuilding. And that's when I really got pushed to say, well, let's see what else is out there. So that's when I started listening to the 30 day MBA on YouTube from 1999 from Howard Fran. And I was like, all right, via YouTube in sheer amount of time, I'm going to go to practice just because everyone had time available to them. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. So they just, in the sense of ghosted, like they just never called you or told you anything. You just alone were like, I guess I'm not going to be here anymore. I wasn't told if I was furloughed. I wasn't told if I was fired. I wasn't told if I should file for unemployment. I wasn't told if I was going to get paid for not coming in, even though we weren't able to come in. I wasn't told anything. And then I also have an autoimmune issue. So it was a matter of even if it was kind of like, no, you're actually going to come in. There's a level of like, should I come in? <laughs> So it was just a lot of not great communication on my part too. I feel like it's very hard when you're starting out as an employee, as a doctor, finally being told you're the one that people are listening to, but then knowing that there's other doctors that are higher above you in a hierarchy and trying to figure out like, well, how do you communicate with them saying exactly what you need in a job? So I wish... Looking back, one thing I would have changed from that is I need better communication about where I stand in this practice and like how I fit in. Yeah. Why do you think you never reached out? Like, you know what I mean? To message them or say like, hey, what's up? I mean, I reached out saying like, should I be coming in? And got told that if I was not willing to be doing the procedures that were needed of me, which were against what we were allowed to do. Basically, I was saying I'm not going to do something I'm not allowed to do. And I was being told, well, someone else will do it. So I reached out. Yeah, yeah. It's just a matter of me, as you will learn, I'm a very crisp, ruled follower. And especially if it comes from rules from the government of like, this is what we're doing. Everyone get on board. It's like, okay, fine. I get that. 
but there is need out there. And when all the dental offices shut down, there's absolutely need. Yeah. No, 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 no. I completely understand. Okay. So that happened, right? Like March, March, April, I would say, yeah. right? You opened up or you acquired your practice. I, I signed on the dotted line June 19th of 2020. Oh, so that's like April, May, June, two months? Yeah. <laughs> so you really took the, okay. Well, we, before we get into that, let's rewind a little two bit. Two months. You, at 14 and 15, you said you were chair-side assisting with your mom, right? 14 to 15 mm-hmm. years old. Is that when you already knew? I mean, before that, were you thinking of doing anything else before that or no? I knew I wanted to work in the medical field and I really liked kids. So part of me was thinking pediatrician. I liked animals. Part of me thought vet. I really narrowed it down once I sat with myself and realized, am I okay dealing with any amount of death? And in dentistry, on a good day, even on a bad day, there, there's not much death. Uh, and that was the thing that really made me think, okay, medical field, absolutely. And dentistry makes sense. And I didn't fall in love with it until I'm a practicing dentist owning my own practice. I'm smart enough. I like school to the point that I could do anything I wanted to do. And I liked dental school. I, I liked working as an assistant. I liked, I liked what I was doing, but only now am I loving every second of it. So no, I didn't know. I was diehard in love with it, but I knew it was an intelligent choice for myself. Wow, that's so good to know that like now that you own your own practices where you're like in love with it, you know? Interesting. When you were working at the DSL for two months, what were some things that you loved that you're like, I'm going to take this away? And what were some things where you were like, I never, ever want to do this in my own practice? No one has ever asked me the, the first part of that question. I, there were patients it was a brick and mortar building. There were chairs. <laughs> there, there's not much that looking back, especially I think if you talk to a dentist that has worked at a DSO for a while, or they just had more of an experience with it, they'd be able to say like, these are the things that were amazing. These are great systems. I worked at a DSO that was a smaller DSO attempting to be acquired by a bigger DSO. Their systems were not in place. Their hiring was not in place. The office manager made no sense to me. And there were just a lot of things lacking. And I might be hypercritical at this point, but looking back, even when I gave my resignation very soon after starting, I asked, do you want to know why I'm resigning? And I was told by the CEO, we're good. And I'm like, wow, because all of the things I had issues with are just things that are like so central to what a DSO is. And my parents, knowing me and knowing DSOs, told me, you're not going to want to work at a DSO. And I said, I know what I want. I'm going to work at a DSO. And they were right. It just, it was incompatible with my personality type and the way I wanted to do dentistry and see patients. So what would you tell the CEO now? Like, if you, if you could tell them, what would, what would it be? Keep doing what you're doing. We're on different paths, and that's fine. There's always going to be DSOs. There's always going to be people that want to own multiple locations. And there's ethical ways to do it and there's not ethical ways to do it. I am a firm believer that if you are employing dentists or you are seeing patients, if you're employing a dental facility, you should be a dentist. I hold that as kind of a core value and I know that that might rub people the wrong way, but it's hard. It's hard to think I wanted to have some logical patient conversations with someone saying, these things affect the quality of care patients are getting. You're getting told by someone who's not a dentist, kind of like, this is what we're doing. These, these numbers make sense. It's like, okay, 
that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like they're focusing more on the the numbers and not the I don't know emotions, the the feeling yeah. of the patients in there. And the yep. numbers matter, but if you're trying to do everything as cheaply as possible, you're going to get cheap results. And sometimes, especially the smaller DSOs, that's what makes sense to them. The bigger ones do have funds and they have the money that they can kind of put into it. But I'm pretty sure the DSO that I was at was because it was part of a group, it was like the one sickly DSO that it was just not like pulling its weight. So we were getting kind of like the best or the worst staff. We were getting really, we were never stocked in anything. We never had toilet paper. It was like, it made no sense the things that we didn't have as like a medical facility. Why why did the office manager make no sense? uh, He told me that he was a dentist in a different country. But he wasn't. And I, I, I understand there are dentists in other countries. He didn't. He, he went to a dental assisting school in, it was either Haiti or Jamaica. And I only like found that out from the third time that he told me. And I was like, show me what you're talking about. Because the things that he was talking to me made no sense when he was talking about anything patient related. And he was telling me to go in and surgically extract. And number two, that I, I was like, two months out of school and I was like, I can't do that. And I want to be able to refer it because I can't do it. It's like, it's easy. Just do it. Other people do it. And I just felt very talked down to all the time. Um, yeah. But again, it was a very short relationship with the DSO. Yeah. That would be like, if I were to wake up in the morning and think about that, I'm like, oh, I got to go to work. Oh, oh yeah. So. It took me on my second day. I told my then fiance, I don't want to work here. And he said, well, you signed a contract, so you're going in. And it was fine. I was paid for during that time period. And I left knowing something that I'm glad I did. I'm glad I know for sure I did not want to be in that situation again. I didn't want to be told what to do by someone who wasn't a dentist. So then my next step up was, well, let me be an associate at a private practice. And then I ran into the similar things of, I don't want to be told what to do, but at least this time it was by a dentist. Yeah. So with the associateship that you worked at for like about a little over a year, what were some things you took away from there that you feel like you're utilizing in your practice now? I learned so much there. Um, I became a much better dentist there. I mean, when you first get out of school, you're not a good dentist. No one is. You're, you're just brand new and you're trying your best, but there's only some things that time can give you. So I got much better, much faster. I got better at talking to patients explaining treatment. I loved that I was brought into very much a five-star customer service attitude of everyone around me was trained under that mentality. It doesn't mean they all felt it. They didn't, they didn't come in with a five-star attitude, but they knew that they were expected to portray that. And that's something that I knew the patients felt, and that was really important to me. And all the patients felt very appreciated. Where things kind of got rough for me was I was so excited by that by the good smelling office and the friendly people and everyone being so sweet and kind to each other. But then turn around and it's the extended hours with the 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. with staffing issues always in that time period. I worked every Saturday for a year. I took like two or three Saturdays off the entire year. And I was doing, I was checking assisted hygiene and doing two columns of my own and I wasn't getting paid for any exams. So pretty much all of the, all of the good parts kind of covered up the fact that in order to 
to work in the system in the office that that was, I also had to sacrifice and give up my Saturdays, give up my evenings. And they were out of network, but then they wrote off all of their co-pays for cleanings. So that rubbed me the wrong way just because I knew enough about insurance to say, I don't think you can do this, but they did. So that was felt in the sense of when I was doing assisted or checking assisted hygiene on Saturdays, we were just getting people in and out as quickly as possible in order to make the numbers make sense. And from that experience made me think, if I'm ever going to own my own practice and we're going to be out of network, I'm doing it all the right way. And people are going to get the cleaning, a really nice cleaning. They're going to spend the amount of time they deserve to spend in the chair and they're going to pay for it. Like you can't just write off copays and say it's fine when you're losing money on it. So you're making up in other ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's a hundred percent. So it sounds like it almost feels like the, the five-star uh, customer service attitude, the how you got better at talking to patients, the way the office was and everything, almost kind of like curtained the rest of it, right? A little bit. Yeah. It's Real. still a lovely office. It just, it wasn't for me. I needed to do my own thing. Oh, yeah. When was it where you felt like, oh man, I'm starting to see the negatives of all this now? When, when was it backwards where you're like, that's not good enough, the five-star customer service, because I'm working every Saturday? Yeah. When I started to to kind of really notice and the rose colored glasses came off was when I started to realize the insurance stuff and like lab fees getting added on to things when we we're out of, when we we're in network with one company and lab fees were added on in order to increase the, the price of the procedure. And I brought that to someone's attention. And I just said, I don't think we can do that. And then I was brought into the owner's office to say, are you calling me a liar? Are you, you need to apologize to the entire staff. You need to apologize to me on behalf of yourself in front of the entire staff in order to tell them that you're wrong. And I was thinking like, okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do to keep my job. But it just sucked because it's like, I felt like I, I uncovered something. I was trying to make sense of it myself. It'd be like, why does this make sense? Now owning a practice, I get the numbers. I understand it. I understand why it was done. But I personally want to do it, not morally or ethically, because I see it as if you're signing a contract or signing a contract and you should abide by it. That's when I was kind of like, this isn't what it's supposed to be. Delaney, that's it. Like that would, I I mean, how do you at least explain it to me? You know what I mean? Don't just like go on and call you a liar. Like, yeah, in that exact moment, my husband and I just put in an offer on our first house together. We're both on the mortgage stuff. And I come home, I tell my husband, like, I think I'm about to get fired or I have to apologize for something I don't need to apologize for. And he said, you're going to go in and you're going to apologize like you don't have to apologize for because we have to get this house. And then yeah. we bought our house in like November of 2019. And then we we're all jobless and four months later. Oh, man. Hey, at least like your humility went way up. You know what I mean? For having to do that like that. That's Sometimes gonna, you gotta suck it up and just realize there's a time and place. But it takes, you know how much of a strong person it takes someone to do that? To be like, oh, I'm never gonna apologize. But to be like, you know what? I know this is, at least explain it to me. Do something better. But you're not? I'm sorry. They're still doing what they're doing. And I applaud them. Do whatever you want. I'm just not there. And that's okay. Yeah. Eh, well, good for you though. Good for you then. Now you have your act. So talk to me about that. You found this practice how? In a really weird way. 
So obviously my parents knew I was looking for a practice because we're all just sitting around twiddling our thumbs. And my mom's like, do you want to want to practice? And I was like, me, me. Uh, I came to my husband first and I said, you know, things aren't working out where I'm at. Uh, I need a change in my life. And that change is either going to be, let's try and start our family or let's buy a practice. And I said, both those things are going to change our life. And both those things kind of will involve a job change of some sort. And my husband said, we are not ready to have a kid. So start looking for a practice. And he thought it would take a while. <laughs> so my mom posted on a Birmingham dentist Facebook group saying, my mom asked herself, said, I'm moving to the area and looking to buy a dental practice. Is anyone interested in selling? And the previous owner of my practice uh, contacted her and said, I'm interested in selling. So my mom didn't even respond. She just kind of screenshotted and sent it to me. So I called her back. I said, hey, I'm actually the person. Can I come see the office? And I met her that same day, came to the office, this beautiful office I've ever walked into. It is so clean and crisp. It looked like an Apple store. It was exactly the office I wanted. And I didn't really care what price she told me. I knew I was going to be buying it. It's, it's one of those things where when you walk in and you just feel it and you're like, it doesn't, nothing really matters because I can make this work. I know me and I know what I'm capable of. And I see this, I see the location, I see the technology evolved and like, we can make it work. So I started working for her like three weeks later. She didn't want to come back after the pandemic. She wanted to homeschool her kids. So she shut down earlier than everyone else. She shut down like late February. And then I opened the practice back up on May 18th of 2020, which was two years to the day from me graduating dental school. And then I bought the practice a month later. Wow. So you, she allowed you to work in the meantime? I didn't want to. So all the dental offices were opening up and people were like, great, like I'm, I need to get in for my cleaning because you guys were shut down. So I saw it as I'm protecting the asset I want to purchase by working in it before I own it. I didn't care what I found out during that time. I found out a lot, but I didn't, that wasn't like my intention. My intention wasn't an associateship with like due diligence. My, so my mentality was I want to get in there to meet the patients, to let them know I'm going to be their new dentist, regardless of whenever I'm purchasing. What did you find out as you were working there? Uh, that the fees had not been updated in a decade, that they were in network with every single insurance company. People weren't followed up on in terms of billing. It wasn't, nothing was fraudulent in any way. It was just inconsistency with collections, no systems in place, it, a lot of temporary workers. The office was, it was absolutely here and it was meant to be almost a two-doctor practice. And then one of the people that were going into it didn't. So it ended up being one doctor practice, someone who didn't want to do the business side of it. She was a great dentist, is a great dentist. She's still, she's at home with her kids still doing homeschooling, but she wanted to just have a practice and didn't want to do all of the other stuff. And I came in and kind of ripped the bandaid off and said, let's do all the hard stuff. Let's, let's collect money. Let's talk to people about being out of network. Let's do all the stuff that is uncomfortable. And my office is also located inside of a neighborhood and she lived in that neighborhood. And when you're treating your neighbors and it's so close knit, it could be hard. And I live about 20 minutes away. That helps. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like if you're walking your dog like at 11 at night. It's hard. Yeah. Everyone called her for first name. And that would just, it would bother me. Only because it's like, 
I agree when I meet you and we're at a bar, call me my first name. But if you walk in and you're talking to my employees about me, call me my first name. It does just have a level of casual casualness that then makes it very hard to turn around and say, and now you owe $200. It's rough. Yeah. I never thought about that. That's interesting. Okay. So you found the practice through, or your mom found the practice. Then from that point on, you started working there. And then maybe like about a month later, once she's gone, you decided. She never came back. So the, I, I theoretically purchased Goodwill. No Goodwill was given. She handed me the keys. If I texted her, like I need an email password or how do I like work this thing? She would respond back to me, but sh- there was no introduction. There was no meet the new doctor here. It was Gia's gone. I'm now the new person. Wow. Really quick. How much did you purchase it for? 382. Okay. Did you, was it from your own or did you get a loan? Complete loan. And it was a 10-year loan with a ballooned interest. So I just had interest payments for the first year. And now I'll probably pay it back in like six years. Okay. I mean, I'm not being aggressive, but I'm not doing the minimal. Yeah. Who'd you end up going with for, for the loan? Which bank? Uh, Progress Bank. And I've had an amazing experience with them. I have a pro use a small bank person. Uh, only because you get in, you know your banker. A lot of the bigger banks can have kind of things just tied in with getting your loan. So I have a check um, scanner processor. I pay no fees for it, I'm, but I get to use it every day. It's awesome. I can pay back my loan whenever I want. I have no period of time that I have to hold the loan, no fees on any accounts. It's just all those things that. I've heard people be like, well, I want to know this bank, but it has a stipulation. And I just like, I just haven't had to deal with any of that. And um, when the federal thing came out and they said that small business owners can borrow money at 3.75. And in that reason why they could was to pay back loans. I just contacted my banker and I was like, so I can continue with you guys, but you'll be going down to 3.75 or I'll be taking this out, paying off my loan because I have no period of time that like, I have doubled the loan. And he's like, that's reasonable. So then they just reduced it to 3.75. Nice. Okay. Were you like, was that the first bank you went to or were you picking and choosing? I shopped three banks and I actually ended up going with, it's, I didn't get the best offer from Progress Bank, but I got the best relationship. And what I've learned very early on is relationships matter more than pen and paper kind of at the end of the day. So I got maybe like the 0.3 difference in an interest rate and they weren't going to balloon the the payments out. But then I was told while I was going through the negotiations that the person that I was dealing with and talking with was going to a different bank and now this is my new banker. And I was like, well, if I'm getting abandoned halfway through like an application process, there is nothing telling me that this new person isn't going to do the same thing. And I liked that my loan was going to be held in the portfolio at the bank. It wasn't going to be shopped off to a bigger bank. Yeah. No, 100%. I, I agree. If they like start abandoning you in the middle of the application. Yeah. It's, it's concerning. Different. Yeah, yeah. No, 100% agree. Okay. So then really quick, when you started transitioning in, when the doctor didn't want to come back, how did the patients and employees feel about that? It could have been better. Um, she didn't want anyone to know I was purchasing the practice. 
until it was done, which is such a common theme. And I hate that. I think that is the most like backhanded thing you could do to your employees and to your patients is keep them in the dark, especially if I understand that some things can pull through and maybe if the sale didn't happen, she had to figure something out. But at the end of the day, I was there busting my ass in order to make sure that all these people were going to get seen. All these employees were coming in and able to get paid for. And patients would look me in the eye and say, well, you're here now, but I'm just going to wait till she gets back in order to do this filling. And I just have to say, like, okay, we'll book you out a little bit. I She'll be back soon because I wasn't allowed to say she's not coming back. Mm-hmm. So, and in general, we didn't go into any of the insurance stuff only because we didn't know how bad the collection process was to begin with at how it was currently standing. And she had like 50000 in AR after being closed for two and a half months. And our AR is tight. Our AR is like two weeks, maybe three weeks. We are solid on it. And just kind of going into that and realizing it didn't really matter that I was out of network with every insurance company. She was in network with every insurance company. Our goal was to get the patients in the door and get them to see me as their new dentist. And we would figure out money later. That's good, though. That's a good uh, approach to it. It, it is true. I, I know, I think I worked for like two other acquisitions and we didn't know until the doctor was like, guess what? This is your new doctor now. And we're like, what is happening? You know, and then yeah. some people wanted to quit on the spot. Some people didn't, but that's what they feared. People quitting before. I don't. Which is ridiculous. So, yeah, my. I, I come from a really weird background because I've been so entrenched in the dental community. And my parents started the Facebook group, Dental Practice Matchmaker, and they're trying to give these tidbits of knowledge to everyone who's going through transitions, saying, by the way, there's different ways to do things. And just because a broker tells you this is the way to do it, you don't have to listen to them because at the end of the day, their goal is to get paid when you sign on the dotted line. They don't have much of an investment before or after the transaction. That's all they want. So they are also huge proponents of getting the team involved and finding someone that you want to sell the practice to and just get them involved. I mean, no one likes to be surprised with anything ever. Yeah. Not, not bad surprises. <laughs> <laughs> what did you, who eventually told the employees then? Was it you? Were you like having a heart to heart with them? It was about a week. Basically when I really committed and we set the closing date is when we kind of told them together. She may have called them. It was a little fuzzy because she never came in. So her communication with me and with them was very much over the phone. I have to ask them. I'll ask them this afternoon. <laughs> I know, I remember having a conversation with them and they were kind of like, they were getting that vibe only because of how weird everything was. They didn't know what was happening, but they knew something was up. And then at that point, they'd worked with me for like three weeks and they realized I wasn't super crazy. So I kept... Nearly all of them, the the front desk had a childcare issue of she had a she had to arrive half hour early and leave half hour early every day. And I said, It's not you. Like it's just a that doesn't that cannot work for what I'm about to do. Both the hygienist stayed on and the assistant quit before I even showed up. So I came in with my new assistant. She quit because just the situation or she was eighteen. She was shopping around for a different office. I with the pandemic and reopening, there was so much reshuffling going on in the dental community for employees. And we're feeling that now. Just it feels like there there's a lack of so many essential positions and 
it just shook everything up. The pandemic was terrible in the sense that a lot of people died, but it did a lot of things to a lot of different economical spheres. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then the patients, did any of the patients were like, oh, no, you know what? I'm Delaney, I'm not going to be with you. Or Dr. Spalding, I'm not going to be with you. I'd rather prefer the doctor. Where is she? Or are they just completely left? A few. I didn't lose many for, for personality reasons. She was a young female dentist. I'm a young female dentist. So we didn't have a lot of the, who are you replacing this person? <laughs> also, we were so covered in PPE. I felt like, I'd say 10% of patients did not know I was me. They <laughs> continued conversations just like I was her. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So no one really left for that reason. Like you get one or two crazy people that are like, that is my diehard person. And I got to explain to them later on, look, you're finding a different dentist either way. You can either try me out or someone else, but she's not practicing anymore. So I don't know. What, what do you want from me? We ended up losing a ton of our patients when we were going out of network, which is to be expected and understood. Wow. We'll dive into that right now when we get into your business. Yeah. So then that's tough. Delaney, I feel like that's so tough. Like doing an acquisition and like not even the middle, like right when the world is like, what is happening? Everything's exploding, right? It's, it's craziness happening. You decided to take it on because you wanted no one to tell you what to do or? Yeah. That's mainly the reason? <laughs> it seemed like if not now, when? So I predicted along with my parents that with COVID and offices having to shut down for a period of time, people were going to figure out if some of the systems that they had in place were functional or not. And that epiphany was going to lead to people selling their practices. And from that, I figured, well, I should look now. If I'm looking into it anytime in the future, who knows what's going to be around or the only thing that's going to be left are the slim pickies from people looking at practices that they, that they didn't want to buy. So mm -hmm. I jumped onto it knowing that there was going to be a lot of practices available and I wanted the first pick of everything. That's smart. That's super, super smart. All right. So could we start like diving into your business a little bit more? Yep. Awesome. So right now, the type of practice you have is general fee-for-service. Are you accepting any insurances or no? We accept insurance. We are completely out of network. We do file on behalf of the patient. We're a general office. We've been over backwards to do everything involving insurance communication. And I would say we're concierge boutique without any of the, the things that come along with concierge. But we very much make sure that every patient has a great experience start to finish. And that includes communicating with our insurance. Gotcha. Why did you decide to go out of network? I don't like being told what to do. <laughs> and if you're in network, what that implies is you are agreeing to a fee schedule that you do not ever get to change. Or if you are, you have to go through companies to negotiate things or you have to be, you have to talk to insurance companies to tell them, by the way, I think price of everything is increasing and I would like it to increase. And then you still tell you no. And I didn't like that. Um, I also don't like that if you're truly in network and following all your contracts to a T, there's plenty of things that you're not allowed to offer to patients because it's not included in their services. And if you offer it, you can't collect from the patient. And all that comes down to like the nitty gritty of the contract. And none of that benefits the patient. None of it. So giving the patient the ultimate ability to decide what they want for their treatment plan and their oral health, I think is the best thing for them, which is why we will use your benefits. We will do anything possible to get you the money that you deserve. But 
it's not my job to help the insurance company hurt you. Ooh, that's good. That's like bumper sticker, you know what I mean? Type of thing right there. What was the last straw for you where you're like, no, this is it. We are. Or did you already go in with that mentality? I went in with the mentality. And then so I was only in network with one insurance company when I was at my associateship. So it takes a while to get out of that. So I sent in my letter to get out of network with them. But then I was still processing the claims and I'm I'm putting in all the payments, basically all the systems that were in place. We just told all the employees, forget the systems, do your bare minimum. I'm doing everything. So I came in on Saturdays and I stayed late. I'm putting in payments. I'm sending off claims. I'm doing everything so that I can learn how to do it because I've never done it before. And from putting in the payments and really realizing every single thing that was getting written off, I think the most beneficial thing to any new practice owner is do not let anyone open your mail, put in all the payments yourself so you can truly understand what is going on in your practice. You can't look at it and say, well, my front desk person quit. What do I do? It's like, do you do everything they were doing? Because you need to know how to do everything they were doing. So the final straw really was realizing that Blue Cross Blue Shield of Alabama has a $630 crown. And that's that's just not feasible. <laughs> that's not doable. And they are a monopoly in the state of Alabama. And I hate them. That's it. <laughs> and I hate them. I'm done with my statement. With Blue Shield, they're the ones who dominate in... Um, in Alabama. And every state's different. But Blue Cross Blue Shield, Alabama is the big daddy. I don't know. Yeah, because here in California, I wouldn't say it's, I believe, Delta. But in Alabama, I didn't know. Uh, so yeah. when you decided to go out of network, how did you start telling the patients and what were their reactions? Bad. Okay, so Blue Cross Blue Shield of Alabama, this is... There's so much you learn in hindsight and you just have to take it in and just let it be. But I was used to the mentality of if you're out of network, you file off the claim, you receive payment, and then the patient is responsible for the remaining amount. Some insurance companies pay amazingly and patient has no out-of-pocket for their cleaning. Some will leave $10 over, some will leave like $100 over. It all depends. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Alabama has about half of their dental insurance plans will not recognize an out-of-network provider in the state of Alabama. You, they will not receive payment. The patient will not receive payment. No one will receive payment. So in the state of Alabama, if you have Blue Cross Blue Shield of Alabama, you are essentially reduced down to an HMO policy where you are required to go to an in-network provider, which means it is not a PPO plan. But who's going to tell them that? Yeah. I know that. All all my employees know that and some patients know that now, but it's just such a scam. And they're paying for a plan that they're getting you told you can pick any provider you want because we have so many providers. And it's like, yeah, well, what if I want to pick a provider that's not in your network and just no one gets paid for that? So I found that out after I dropped them. So we were doing work on people and then we didn't get a check. They didn't get a check. And that's when I thought every policy was like that. So luckily we found out some of the policies are, some aren't, and it took us a while to figure out kind of how to find the the way to figure out whose plan was what. Mm-hmm. So I sent out a, a letter to every Blue Cross Blue Shield patient explaining to them that obviously they would be required to pay everything and they would receive no reimbursement. So we lost a lot of people. And then I found out that that was only true for half the plan. So it made me tougher. <laughs> there's, a, there's a community um, Facebook group. Uh-huh. 
that I'm in, and I I got torn to shreds. Are you serious? What was happening in there? Multiple times. Oh, also need screenshots. It's it's ridiculous, and it's people that don't. I mean, no one knows how dental insurance works. Even some dentists don't know really how it works. But especially the patients that are utilizing, I have no idea. So there's people in the Facebook group saying that they're going to set up shop right next to me and accept all insurance just to show me. I'm like, do it. It's not the game that I'm trying to play. So that, how long was that happening for? That was like a really rough three to four months. And everything in dentistry is like on a six month interval. So starting like January 1st of 2021, is when we're like, we are truly out of network. We're collecting co-pays. We're doing this all above water. Before, it was just a transition, trying to figure everything out, but starting the first of the year. And we did that by sending pre-authorizations prior to every cleaning, every preventative procedure, pretty much anytime someone was walking the door with an appointment, we had a pre-authorization and we got them very quick and we're really good at following up on them. So we knew people's out of pocket. If it was a lot, if it was like over $50, we communicated that with the patient. If it was under $50, we'd have the conversation in person. Or if it's over, we'd give them a, a call ahead of time. And we lost some patients. Um, profitability was through the roof, though. So I got to spend more time with patients. I got to do the dentistry I wanted to do. I didn't have to explain to any insurance company why something was needed, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, we're still doing narratives and stuff, but. But still, it's it's a way better than, you know what I mean? It's Have different. Been, yeah. What would you do differently now? For the ones who are like, oh my gosh, I want to do exactly what Delaney did, but I don't want to go through that three to four month, five month thing. So the good and the bad is none of the patients really knew me. So I ripped the bandaid off and went out of network. So I didn't have to deal with people saying like, why would you drop my thing? Because I didn't know them. Just like, I'm doing this because it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Where if I would have waited, I'm two years into this now. So I know the patients now. And if I were going to make you the decision now, it'd be a lot harder. But I think the conversations would be easier. I would be able to look them in the eye and say, have you been enjoying all these services you've been getting? Well, these services cost money and reimbursement rates are going down low. And I would love to have you as a patient. We have a great great rapport. I've done plenty of work on you. Like, I really want you to stay. And this is what your out of pocket's going to be. And I really hope it's going to be okay. And every single one of those conversations I would have in person, if I was dropping later, I did it in the way no one suggested me do it. I bought a practice and drop and changed everything on day one. And every consultant would smack me saying, don't do that. And it's like, it worked, but I'm not going to say it's going to work for everyone. So looking back, I would say, maybe listen to your consultants, but I don't think anyone really regrets going out of network or being fee for service if you have the personality for it, if you can handle the tough conversations, if you are okay with people getting mad, and if you have something to offer that other dentists don't have. Yeah, because I think that's what people fear the most when they go out of network, right? Or when they decide to start off going out of network and they're doing a startup like, I'm not going to have enough patience. I'm not going to ramp up fast enough. I'm, You're going to have to patience. How many would you say you lost? A quarter, maybe a third of all my patients. And in total, do you know how many range? I wrote it down before. I, I printed out a different set of numbers to talk to you about only because 
I went in with how many new patients that they had previously and then um, our total income. And I can tell you when it comes to like just total money in the door, not really how it relates to how many patients we lost, but I maybe four to 500, maybe 600. We're a pretty small practice. And that's it's how much we lost. Oh, 500 patients you lost? Maybe for, oh, wow. And profitably, I mean, profits still went through the roof, like collections. It's a sad truth. No one, no one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear that you're not going to see Miss Betty, but you won't. And it's going to be okay. And I had patients that I've bit over backwards for, and we continued to write off copies because I was just really trying to help their family out. And when it finally came down to it, and we we're like, we've been writing off the copies for over a year. We just want to let you know, like, you're going to have like a $20 out of pocket when you come in for your cleaning. And the things that came out of their mouth about saying how ridiculous and disgusting I was, it's just like, it just changes. That's what I'm saying. You just got to be tough and strong and have thick skin because people want to tie so many emotions to their dental insurance and how they feel about it. And you're going to get the the brunt of that. Especially if they're like, it's a we're going through hard times and this is what you're doing. Come on. Man, Delaney, nowhere. I am not even close to as strong as you. 500 patients having that many conversations with them and it'd be like. And vocal on Facebook. Was there any moment where you were like, maybe I should go back? Never. I never wanted to go back in network because that would go against everything I stand for. Um, I will say, so I've been profitable and I've taken an, an income the entire time. But if you're going to do something scary like this, it's very hard to do unless you have an excellent support system at home. And my husband has a job that could support us. So I knew if everything hit the fan and the bare minimum I could do is pay my employees via practice loan, that we would be okay. This would be much harder if you were a sole income provider for your family. If you had a lot of expenses, we have very low expenses. We are very, we don't spend that much money. We have a very small old house. And I just got my first car ever because we had a baby and you need a car that runs <laughs> drives a 2000 Toyota Tundra that I learned to drive in so we don't spend our money and I was completely okay if I never had to take an income from this practice in order to make it exactly the way I wanted it to be that I was prepared for that yeah yeah and I learned. didn't have to do that you, you you're making it happen which is amazing okay so then right now what systems would you say you've like changed once you started the acquisition or once you acquired the practice? Uh, I brought in a lot of new technology. So some of the basic technology in order to really win over the hygienist is they got a cabotron and a brake jet because no one wants to be filling their hands doing that. Uh, on my side, what I thought was super important was being able to get everything digital as soon as possible. When we had digital x-rays, I wanted a digital scanner from day one as just another thing to like set me apart and when I looked at the practice loan and all the stuff going into it, I was like, maybe next year. <laughs> I, I don't think I can jump into that right now. And I was pretty comfortable with doing analog impressions. But on my bucket list was I really wanted to get a scanner in order to complete the practice. So I'd say the best system that I have invested in was going along with Dandy in order to get my scanner at no cost to me. and basically start a digital workflow with no no money down. Nothing from me. It requires nothing. I was working at the local lab. The turnaround time was terrible and I didn't love the quality. 
I started working with Glidewell and the turnaround time was better, but the quality started to go downhill and I didn't really understand it just because I was like, you're a national lab, everything should be fine. <laughs> yeah. um, so I was kind of looking for a new lab anyway. And then when the thing pops up on Facebook saying, do you want a free scanner? I'm like, free is right up my alley. But I called my dad. I talked to any dentist I could. I'm like, what's the catch? Because there, there has to be something going on. And pretty much the catch that I learned with Andy is at any point, if you don't like it, send it back. But that's that's it. I haven't reached that point. So yeah. we, we entered our digital workflow and we're doing everything with our scanner. So we're doing crowns, bridges, veneers, implant crowns. We do partials, dentures, bleaching trays, liners. Basically, it has opened up my practice into so much more profitability because I was able to bring in something that could streamline all of our processes. That's nice. What what scanner did they give you, Dandy? So they also gave me a computer, which is what I'm talking to you on right now. So right here is my Trios 3Shape. Okay. Good, good stuff. And then what's yeah, the so thing on A stand, a computer, and all the stuff that you need to, to get into it. For free? Free. Oh, man. And then the, the turnaround time with Dandy, normally what is it? I think it started out at like five days, but I think the quickest thing I've ever done is I scanned a crown for a full zirconia crown on a patient on a Monday morning, and it was in the office on Thursday afternoon. And we, we book the patients a week in advance. We tell them that we'll let them know if it comes in sooner. But you can't, with a physical impression, you cannot beat the fact that while the patient is in the chair, I fill out the lab prescription, which is so user-friendly on the computer. I click a button and it says it's at the lab. And I know it's immediately at the lab and getting worked on. And then the longest thing is the turnaround time of it gets shipped to me. That's it. That's nice. Good stuff. Awesome. So that's one of the, anything else that you felt like you transitioned out or you took out of the practice that you were, you don't want more? Uh, transitioned out. Not really. I just kind of added a lot of things and I needed to make sure my team was on board with all of the stuff we were doing. So I needed my team on board with us being out of network, how to communicate it and to know how all of our new technology worked. Pretty much getting our hygienists to use the Capitrons to talk about just these are our x-rays. We do printouts. We do new patient folders for everyone. And through that, we're able to show the patients, here are your x-rays. Here is all of the technology that we have. And we kind of really try to show it off. That's good stuff. And then right now, what are you doing for marketing and advertising? This is my year of marketing. So every each year, I've kind of picked one thing I really wanted to spend money on or change in the practice. And last year was actually adding the technology to the scanner. So I actually set money aside to buy a scanner. And then this whole deity thing happened. And I was like, oh, I can use this money for something else. Yeah. So I was doing a GoDaddy website that I created myself up until probably like five months ago. And then I started working with Identity Dental Marketing. And they made my website and they're doing my SEO I'm doing Google Ads myself. Gosh, my little brother's helping me. And we do new homeowner letters. So every week we get uh, an Excel spreadsheet that has like 20 to 30 people who have bought a house within the last week. And we send letters, handwritten letters, welcoming them to their new house and saying, we'd love if you came and checked us out. I go to every farmer's market that they will let me attend. I got to a point where they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at my gym, 
I set up a table on their member appreciation day and hand out toothbrushes and tell people I want to be their dentist. Basically, if you put me in front of someone, I will market myself. And then if not, I will pay someone to do it for me. So, but the finally getting into SEO um, optimization, we have like six new patients on the schedule tomorrow. And it's new. Like all this is so recent. It feels great. And it doesn't matter if you get people calling, if you don't have systems in place to get people to kind of get them to schedule. And my friend desk, Emily, is amazing. I I could not do what she does. She she gets people in the chair. Yeah. <laughs> if they call, she will get them scheduled. That's so good. So you do it. Is the gym LA Fitness? No, it, it oh. is. Club Ford Fitness. I don't know if it's a regional thing. They have childcare. I like to support any business that provides childcare because it is necessary. Gotcha. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, I like that. Member appreciation in the farmer's markets. Identity dental marketing, Mark. right? Uh, this was Grace Frizza. Grace, yes. Yep. How, roughly how much do you need for that? Like if um, a dentist like, like I need to be with, yeah, I want to I get the package that Delaney has. I think she got me a deal, maybe. I'm not sure. I think to start out with everything was around 6,000, maybe a little bit more, but that got me, I rebranded I got a tagline, they, they built my website, and then I'm paying a monthly fee around $600, but that is doing Google ads and mm-hmm. um, SEO optimization. That's pretty good. And then so- and I, Oh, I'm also doing newspaper and magazines, but I'm not paying for ads. I'm just emailing editors and asking them to write things about me, and they will. Oh, wait. So you write to the newspaper saying, hey, can you write about me? I say, I'm really cool. And then I just, I write everything about my, uh, my life. Uh-huh. And so far I've gotten three people to pick it up and write articles about me. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm really cool. <laughs> it's interesting. You can tell me is no, you're not. And then I'm in the worst situation than what I'm at right now. That's true. That's a hundred percent true. Wow. Okay. That's, that's something I haven't heard of. Like people, you know what I mean? Hey, write about me. The worst thing I can say is no. I mean, yeah. put yourself out there. I like that. I liked it a lot. So then monthly, how many new patients are you getting? I would say previously like 20. We're pretty, we're only a four op office and we're open four days a week. So about 20. And now I think what I see on the schedule is like 36. Mm-hmm. So like I said, this all within the last few months that we've started ramping it up. Yeah. No, but to be 100% with you, like 20 fee for service, or you know what I mean? Out of network compared to yeah. 20, like in network. Yeah, I was breaking down um, the years, how many new patients and what the production amount we got from reading those new patients in from 2019, 2020, and 2021. And in 2019, it was $858. So that's pre me. And then 2021 is when we were really trying to figure out of network was 1,277. So it's like per new patient getting brought in. It matters. It matters the quality of patients, not just the quantity. Definitely. Awesome. Dylan. so one of the last questions I want to ask you, it's what's been from the moment you decided to, let's talk about from the moment you left your associateship mentally to right now, what's been some of your biggest fails, struggles, or pitfalls? Confidence. Really? Confidence? I feel like you're super confident. There is so much imposter syndrome that new dentists feel, and it's rightfully so. You're told all through dental school, and when you first get out, that you know nothing, and that you just get put down so much. I don't know if that was just my dental education experience of people telling me, 
that I don't know what I'm doing and I need so much more training. And so, and it's true. Every dentist needs more training, but I wish I would have had the confidence I have now when I started, but I don't think you can. I think you have to go through trials and tribulations. You actually have to know your stuff to be confident about it. And that's the hardest part because anyone who's graduating, they're all just looking around at each other saying like, I think I know what I'm doing. And that's all you have where I can confidently say I can do anything dentally I need to do. I feel like I can confidently speak to any of my employees. I can talk to any vendor and immediately know if they're bullshitting me and like, but you only know that by going through it. That's interesting. Yeah. I feel like sometimes, do you ever feel when somebody says they are confident, but they're just too cocky? Yes. And that's so different because I've also talked to people who have recently graduated who aren't true and confident. I'm thinking it's one thing if you're confident, like you should be. It's another thing if you're confident and it's kind of dangerous, like borderline dangerous, either financially dangerous. You think you're a direct amount, you might get into a whole world of trouble debt wise without really understanding the implications. And there's also when it comes to working on patients, like you shouldn't do things you don't want to do without training. You shouldn't. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's wonderful advice. My goal is never to be copy. If if anyone really knows me, they know if I don't understand something, I will find out. I will ask many questions until I feel like I have a general understanding of what we're talking about. But I think if you're cocky, you don't really have the ability to kind of push further for, for more information. Yeah, wonderful advice. Thank you so much, Delaney, for being with us. It was a pleasure. But before we say goodbye, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yeah. Um, we're on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook at Ross Bridge Dentistry. And check out our TikToks. They're really fun. Awesome. All right. So guys, that's all going to be in the show notes below. So definitely reach out to Delaney, especially if you feel like you're going through those, dropping them insurances and you're like, oh, people are hating me right now. You know? And I love answering questions. Definitely reach out. Um, DM me on any platform and I'll respond. Awesome. So guys, that's going to do it for this episode. Delaney, thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure and we'll hear from you soon. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to that episode. And Delaney, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. We truly appreciate it. And don't forget that this episode is brought to you by Dandy. Remember, Dandy is a full service, fully digital dental lab based in the U.S. And they offer an entire suite of products like you heard Delaney talk about, right? She's able to do everything with Dandy. And at the same time, she got a free scanner. She got a free computer. She got a free stand. I mean, it's a top of the line intro oral scanner. You get one-on-one training, you get unparalleled support, you get access to the Dandy portal. And since you're a listener of this podcast, they're giving you $250 in lab credit. So Dandy will get you everything you need to take your practice digital. So You have nothing to lose, literally nothing to lose when you go with Dandy. And at the same time, guys, if you decide to use the link in the show notes below uh, or you decide to go to meetdandy.com forward slash TDM, you are supporting the podcast, which helps me and our team out here a ton. So we really appreciate that. So go to meetdandy.com forward slash TDM. And remember, if you decide to try Dandy out and use that link, you will get a free three shape trio scanner. It's already saving you over $20,000 and you'll get $250 in lab credit. So go to meetdandy.com forward slash TDM or click the first link in the show notes below. And that's going to do it for this episode. As always, thank you for supporting the podcast and I'll talk to you in the next episode.